You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Hello and welcome to episode 110 of the Managemental Podcast, a weekly discussion on hot topics in the music biz for the up-and-comers, the brand newbies, the beginners, and aspiring rock stars of tomorrow. This podcast is propelled by your input and feedback, so please rate and review and leave us a comment on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this show. I am your host, Mr. Blasco, and as always, I am joined by my good friend, the co-host from the other coast, Mr. Mike Mowry. My man, dude, 110. What a, what a, uh, you know how I like to do something with my numbers. It reminds me of a freeway out here in Los <laughs> Angeles, you know, even though I'm from the other coast, I'm sitting in LA recording this thing with you. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll go with the highway theme. Nice. I like it. In the uh, last episode, we chatted about word of mouth marketing. That was a really great episode, so check it out if you haven't already. This week, we uh, take some questions from you, our loyal listeners. This is going to be killer, so let's get mental. Oh, yeah. So, Mike, uh, I feel like it's been a while since we uh, took some questions from our listeners. And um, so here we are, episode 110 feeling like that might be well-timed. I love these, man. I, I, you know, this is part of why we do it. And, you know, it's been fun to do some of the last episodes, but I like to see what questions and comments come in from time to time. So thanks for, thanks for combing through what we get and pulling out the best of the best. Yep. Uh, we got three people that wrote us in. So here we go. Number one, Hey man, hope you're doing well. The Managemental podcast has been such an awesome resource. I'm happy to say I have been listening since the beginning. Thank you for continuing to put out such great content. Here is my question. Do you think it's better to be seen seen as oh wait, seen as headlining band going on last or do you feel in this day and age it's better to host a show and pick the best time for your band to go on and build out a successful show around that. Any input you could share would be greatly appreciated. Thanks, Kat. Wow. What a fantastic question, man. Like, yep. and really, you know, what this ties into, and we were talking about it before we hit record in some capacity is perception, right? Like mm-hmm. how are things perceived that, that, ultimately is how I'm interpreting the question, right? If you want to be seen as a headliner, then, you you know, what people see is what they perceive you as. And that's a huge part of what we do as managers uh, and what, you know, all of our friends that do this and people who aren't managed, you know, do all the time is, you know, they, they, they're sort of operating in two parallels. One is what am I actually doing? And the other is, how am I projecting that to the world so they can see it as to what I want them to see that I'm doing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so this is really a question that, that that's fantastic. It's, we're going to play a show, right? Okay. that That is the first side of that parallel. The second side, you know, the other rail on the train track is, 
well, do we want to be seen as a headliner or do we want to build a, an event or build something around us and we get to sit in this very sweet spot that we think is the best thing, time to play? You know, we go through this all the time, especially with local showcases or, you know, stuff like that. It's like, yeah, sometimes the last band is going on at 1145 at night. You know, yeah, you might be the top dog on the flyer, but ultimately when if you're in a big city, public transportation ends at a certain time. If you're, you know, got young fans, uh, their parents don't want them out super late. Like there's all of these considerations. And so ultimately, I think you want to kind of have your cake and eat it too, if possible, um, meaning be perceived in the best possible light, but also set yourself up for the best show. And then, you know, that's that's the rarest of occasions that you could do that. Um, so then you get into some of these hard decisions that you have to make. And, you know, Blasco, if you're anything like me, decisions are usually, I try to complicate them much more than they need to be. Uh, it, it usually comes down to, I, you know, list pros on the left side, list cons on the right side. And if the pros outweigh the cons, that's my decision, right? Um, that said, there's always emotion involved. Sometimes one pro might be, uh, you know, might be worth more, might be uh, weighted more heavily. If you assign point values to each thing on each side, you know, oh, well, this thing headlining should be worth three points. You know, you got to come up with your own metric for that. But, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of dragging on here, so I'll try to tie it all together. I would say, you know, depending on where you are, in the world, right? If you are a local up and coming band, to me, nine times out of 10, I would go with the latter one here, which is build a show and pick the best time for your band to play and go on to build a successful show. Um, and and if as you get into bigger stuff, which you know, the artists that Blasco and I manage in the in the world that we live in, it's not always nine out of ten that way. It might skew a little bit more, but you know, because perception, especially when the global internet is looking at you, there's so many people that might see you as in the middle of a bill and be like, "That man, I guess that band's not as big as I thought they were. And when they see the ad mat, that's, that's bigger, you know, and so you can get creative there and figure some things out, but that's really my rule of thumb here. What, what is your thoughts? Uh, I, um, it's good to establish yourself as a headliner sooner than later uh in that like i saw slayer on their first record they were first of four and then i never saw them as anything other than a headliner ever again um if uh there was a band that was a client of mine and we had a strategy for a record that we wouldn't we wouldn't take any any tours that we weren't direct support to because I didn't want the band to get caught up in being first of three, first of four, because I feel like from my observation, the more that you put yourself in that in that chamber, it becomes more difficult to break out. If you don't establish yourself as a headliner or you don't establish yourself as a direct support band, if you if you establish yourself as an opener for too long, it becomes then harder to break out of that mold. Um, so uh, I, I think that it, it's it 
it's dictated by your level of guts and sometimes it's not totally up to you. Um, but I, I feel like there has to be a strategy involved to it. Like I think like, for instance, like with Zach Sabbath, we established ourselves as a headliner by doing some small club shows. And that was kind of more establishing the brand as if it was even legitimate or not, or is this just a joke? Um, and whenever we got that Intel that it was justifiable, like in the bars and the, in the clubs, we went on tour with clutch as a support band just to introduce the brand across the United States. Um, but we've, other than festivals, we've never done anything other than headlining ever since, because the thought was we need to establish ourselves as a headliner. And if it's not deserving of headliner status, then that's cool. It'll just be a hobby thing that we do on the side. Um, but, uh, in addition to this, I, this, this, this thing that he says here with hosting our own show and playing where we want made my, made my head spin a little bit on an idea of, man, if you're an upcoming band, taking, taking a chance for one of you guys or all of you guys to become a promoter in your local town. And, you know, like Google how to become a show promoter. I mean, look, there's, there's plenty of show promoters that we've come across that are just straight up idiots. Um, so it's not to become a show promoter in your town probably isn't overly daunting. Um, and if it's something that you're willing to invest some time and energy into, then theoretically you could, you could book international shows, find bands to buy on, but then give yourselves the primo spot, you know, like on there and you could do yourself a real service by doing that. I just think it's potentially a really good strategy um, that I've never even thought of before. Yeah. I mean, that's wonderful. And in fact, you know, uh, I won't say names, but a dear friend to you and me, who's very successful in the business who once fronted a band. I mean, this was kind of his strategy, you know, mm -hmm. he was a local promoter and I don't know the ins and outs. I'm not going to say that he put his band in the prime position, but we've heard about this, you know, ad nauseum there's some challenges with that, right? When you're the person that is in control uh, and you consistently put your band in the best slot, all the other bands may start to resent you. We're not going to get into that, but I love the idea uh, of what you're saying, Blasco, and it has been done. It just comes along with its own challenges. I mean, I think, I mean, in your point about establishing yourself as a headliner, again, that's where it really depends on where, you know, where you are out there, loyal listener, you know, the, depending on where you are, the, the advice is going to be different for that specific instance. The, the broader advice is, yes, you want to build to be a headliner. And in fact, I love your point of setting some sort of threshold for yourself, because what happens, I've watched artists, you know, who didn't do that. I've been involved with artists where we, where we didn't do that. Right. And a great opportunity came along and we convinced ourselves it was too good to be missed because, you know, big band wants us to be the first of three, even though really, you know, we, and when we compromised and didn't go as direct support, even though we were smaller than the direct support band, right. We deserve the one of three, but what happened was just like you said, the industry started to see us as an opener on those size tours. Mm -hmm. We never recovered. We yeah. never were able to build back up. And so if we would have had 
this podcast and had Blasco's advice to say, you know what, dude? And this is this is the challenge that Blasco and I both know now from experience is if that opportunity of 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 you know, if you if the one of three comes along, right, and and you and it doesn't work for you, uh, you know, you and you and you hold out for the next one and then it never comes, it wasn't meant to be. Right. But you yeah. gotta you gotta stay true to what you think your worth is. And that is the most challenging part of some of this business because emotionally, when you're in a band, you wanna be doing things and you wanna be doing cool things. And you know, first to three on a major, you know, I don't remember who it was, you know, but a big metal band, we wanted to be involved with it. But in the end, it was really the last hurrah of, of tours that, that we did of that level because we just were seen as an opener from then on out. Bummer. Hi, I'm Daniela Clark. I'm Barbara Ann Wild. And we are the Honest AF Show. Our podcast is real, honest conversation with our celebrity friends and pros. Covering our anything but average rock and roll lifestyles. All while tackling the hell that is aging and the battle of beauty. Oh yeah, nothing is off the table. The Honest AF Show is available wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, thanks, Kat, for writing in. Moving on. Hey, Blasco and Mike, as a managemental podcast loyal listener, I don't think something like this has been covered in one of the hundred plus episodes. Could be wrong. Here goes either way. I play in a punk rock band. The band's been around since late 2016. Since then, the band has garnered a modest online fan base, released two EPs, a few videos, and played some cool shows as well as supporting a few international bands. For 2019, the band has completed the debut, their debut album. Video for first single is done, second on the way, photo shoots are done, merch is done, PR has been hired, a lot of work, time, and money has gone into this release. The band's goals are to reach a broader audience and play bigger and better shows. We're in our 30s to 40s, married with kids, so not looking to tour the world or be the next Green Day. Should we look for a label to help us put the record in front of more people? Uh, we figure it's no risk to them as the band paid for the recording and the marketing already. Or should we forget about that self-release and focus our efforts elsewhere. Looking forward to both you and Mike's insights on this one. Cheers, Javier. My, my, my. Uh, uh, you know, really. This <laughs> makes me sad. I, <laughs> well, then you go first. I, I, I just feel like if you're already setting your expectations so low, then what's the point? Like why do you want to waste the record label's time? Like, it's like, could you imagine trying to walk into a record label and be like, hey, man, like, we're all old and with kids and, and, and stuff. I'm like, we really don't really have much expectation to tour a lot or, or really grind all that hard. Would you mind, you know, spending your your effort and time and money into something and, and, and put it out? Like, like, what does that even mean? It's like, if you're not if you're not, if you're not like, what could then your expectation of the label be to put in that little amount of effort that you're willing to put in? Like, I don't understand. You might as well just put it out yourself then because who's going to be stoked about working with a band that whose motivation is so low that it, it doesn't even matter. <laughs> like, 
I mean, this is where you, an insight of somebody like yourself, I mean, it just cuts through the the indecisiveness or like the ambiguity about, I think it's a great question. Yes. I think it's just that, you know, you can see here uh, when he, when he, in the parentheses, which, you know, you didn't indicate it was in parentheses, but I'm looking at it. We figure it's no risk to the label as the band paid for recording and marketing. Of course, that's your perception out there, Javier, and it's not wrong based on your limited mm. knowledge of the business. And that isn't meant disrespectfully. It's meant that, you know, the only way Blasco and I got to have this knowledge is by doing this, right? So we're not, we didn't go to school for it. We're not smarter than anybody else. We are more experienced than many of our listeners, right? That's why you guys listen and we thank you for that. But, you know, I think the limited scope makes you think that it's it's in a silo the record label though their job at one point was to sell records you know and that was done through marketing and done through many other things you know the record label is is now more so than ever but they, they're kind of looking at the, the the totality of it right and just because someone and, and i don't mean totality it, what i should say is they're looking at the totality like blasco indicated of you know they want a band that's going to be on tour Right. Because even though they might not be paying for that or be directly involved in that, that is a driver of promotion. Promotion is what leads back to uh, exploiting the rights of the masters, which is really what a record label does. We're not really selling so much anymore as we are streaming, but nevertheless, it's about exploitation. But that that comes in, you know, the reason 360 deals came about is there's 360 degrees of that strategy and the labels involved in many of them maybe not directly, sometimes tangentially. And so, you know, to, to, and that's why I love the way you just cut through it. You had me see it in a different way, Blasco, by, by your direct point of sadness, which ultimately, yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's sad so much. I mean, I, as, as much as it is like, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, I, I guess, Javier in in your band, it's cool. You've done a lot. You've built a lot. But knowing what your kind of limits of what you can do is your obligation to kind of not necessarily tether somebody to your limitations, right? Now, if you go and have conversations with labels and say, hey, look, we, you know, we're not going to do X, Y, and Z. The problem is a lot of bands don't want to express that. That said, the minute you walk into a label and say, we're in our 30s and 40s and we're not going to tour, most labels that are going to really help you get your record in front of more people are out. They aren't interested, Mm -hmm. right? And so you've sort of solved your own problem. I'm not, you know, and and look, I get, I'm in conversations every day where I either know the answer in my gut or think the answer is no, right? And Again, we'll go back to, you know, using number 99 times out of 100. It's no, I have been surprised. There's that one small percentage. So if you like one small percentages and are willing to go for that, but there's a lot of work to find out whether that 1% exists, you know, uh, I would say it seems like what you're doing works. You don't necessarily need a label. You could use some other, you know, PR has been hired. Okay. Who's your PR person, Right. You know, it sounds like if you want to play bigger and better shows, you know, though this direct question hasn't been asked, we've covered a lot of how to build relationships with booking agents, how to build relationships with promoters, right? The challenge is when you're doing it at the level you're doing it, you may have kind of hit 
the top end of your limit of what, yeah, you're going to get shows supporting international bands, but it's hard to move on from that if you're a part-time band, which is what you are. And that's okay, but own what you are and owning what you are means put it out yourself. Yeah. Agreed. I mean, look, a label isn't looking for a band that doesn't want to be the next Green Day. A label is enthusiastic and heavily motivated behind a bunch of guys that want to be the next Green Day, even as insane as an, an un, like unrealistic as that may be. They want the they want someone with that type of enthusiasm and attitude to walk in there and be like, we want to be the fucking next Green Day. Great. I can work with that. But to walk into a label and be like, yeah, well, we don't really want to be, you know, I mean, we don't, we don't expect to be the next Green Day. We know that we're like older and like we're not, you know, we can't really tour that hard or whatever. Like, that's great. Like, well, I, then I don't understand what the label is supposed to do for you. I mean, it's, it feels like you've got everything in place. Just put it out yourself. I mean, you don't need a label to put your album on iTunes, you know, like you, you just don't. And then, if you expect a label to expend a lot of energy and resources into a band that isn't going to tour and work that hard, that's just not reality. Um, so anyway, the long-winded answer to your question is, is just put it out yourself. <laughs> and if you don't do that and you take it around and shop it and get signed and you're a success, come back and tell us. Yeah. Right? This isn't Blasco and Mike's doctrine of exactly what will work. It's, hey, we've got a lot of experience uh, our experience tells you to put it out yourself, but fuck, man, we love it when, I mean, <laughs> Blasco and I pride ourselves on why we get along so well is we've heard no a lot of times and we've gone through and found where the yes is. We're just here to tell you it takes a shit ton of work to find out, <laughs> to find that yes. Yeah. Thanks, Javier. That's awesome. Uh, moving on. So I have some questions for you. Number one, how do you see the role of music education in this age where information and connections are available. So Mike, to back up real quick, um, my recollection is Adam, who's writing this, he's uh, he's in school. I believe he's in the UK and he's in school to learn. Uh, he's taking courses on the music business. Um, so he, he's coming from more of that side rather than the band side. So um, anyway, once again, his first question is, how do you see the role of music education in this age where information and connections are available. So maybe we'll tackle them one at a time because he's got a few questions. Yeah. And I mean, look, this is obviously a, pay, a, a, a you know, a part of the industry that I'm passionate about. Uh, you know, there's outer loop coaching is of course a platform that I've, you know, spent some time building along with my partner, Paul, to try to make, uh, alternative forms of education available again, based on my experience, Blasco has done uh, plenty of stuff in his own right. Uh, he can tell us more about that, but you know, we both like this. It's part of why we have this podcast, even though there's not a course, we're here to kind of cut through uh, some of the questions that you've already heard and then be able to tackle ones like this. So Adam, thanks for, thanks for doing this. I mean, where do I see the role of music education where information connections are available? I mean, look, I think education is fantastic no matter what. I will say this for me as somebody who, you know, I think, I think music education traditionally has gotten a bad rap. I think it's great. I went to school and studied environmental science, right? I didn't go into that field. That said, uh, the idea was it was supposed to prepare me for an entry level job in the field. You know, when I went in, 
and did interviews and uh, I didn't I didn't get the jobs that I was looking for. They wanted somebody with more education, master's degrees and whatnot. That's where my life really took a turn. And I went and started touring full time as opposed to, to, to the hobby that I was doing, um, you know. And, and had I not done that and had I gone in and worked an entry level job, they couldn't have expected me to be an expert just because I went to school, right? That said, what it was supposed to do is just like if Blasco and I start talking about the split point in a, in a, in a show settlement, if you haven't gone and lived through a show settlement, the only other way to get that is by educating yourself, right? Yeah. And so to me, the first time I heard a split point, I was a tour manager and I was like, oh, I'm not quite sure what this means. Let me call my booking agent. But I was already out on the road, right? And I was already in the mix. I was already doing it. So my story in regards to that is, thankfully, I was capable of learning on the fly pretty quickly. But man, wouldn't it have been great if I are if walking in there to get that job, you know, before I got the job, which I got because I was friends with people because I'd done stuff in the business, but it would have been great if I knew what a split point was. And again, I don't even know if a split point was the exact thing that I didn't know, but there's plenty of times I've sat down and, you know, had a record deal put in front of me and it talks about controlled compositions clause, you know, which has to do with the songs and the publishing. And I didn't know crap about it. I still don't know all of it. Thankfully, I've got a network of attorneys and other people, but like I know it enough to have a conversation. I've been to music, you know, I've been to universities. I've been to these places where they teach you what that is. To me, it would have been great had I looked at my first contract and figured out early on what a controlled composition was. I think the challenge becomes there's a lot of people that have the perception that if you go to a university or go to one of these programs, then you're going to get, then the, the job just becomes, comes out of that, which in some cases it does. I know that, you know, uh, that some booking agencies and other places, larger places have, you know, there's a feeder system in there. They take the best students and they intern there and then they put them in. But ultimately, I think there's a, a little bit of a disconnect thinking that, oh, if I go to school, then I just get the job. And people that are out doing the job say, well, school's stupid because I didn't need the job, but it wouldn't it be great if they had that foundation. And so to me, the role is don't take it for what it is. It's teaching you the terms and the fundamentals of the business, right? Yep. The second part of that is, yeah, network and connections. What are you doing? You're making network and connections in your own classes. You're making them as you're out there playing shows with your band, or if you're not in a band, you're promoting shows, or you're just going to shows. All of that stuff, just like if I'm in an environmental science place, I had to go and I volunteered. I was like shoveling soil at the local whatever eco place. And that was part of me making connections there. Right. I didn't do it long enough to have it pay off. But had I not had the the chance to do music originally through punk and hardcore and now this, that would have eventually done what I needed it to do. I couldn't have just walked out of school and been like, hey, give me the job. So I know it's a little long winded, but I love this question. I love this this part of it. What's your take here, Blasco? Yeah, uh, <clears throat> my buddy converted his mom's garage into uh, a guest house so that she could Airbnb it. So, you know, he framed it out and put a bathroom in there and kitchenette and all that shit or whatever. He did it by watching <clears throat> YouTube videos. <laughs> so, so, so it, it, to me, I'm taking out of the part of this question where he says in this age, in this age where education is, is online. Um, you know, if my buddy could figure out how to 
to convert his mom's garage into a, a guest house with no previous construction knowledge, but just by watching YouTube videos, then it's safe to say that they, you know, that you can go online and learn maybe as much, if not more than actually trying to go to a trade school or something. So uh, I also would bring up our friends at the uh, URM, the Ultimate uh, Recording Academy. Um, unstoppable, baby. Unstoppable, unstoppable recording machine. It. Yeah. Um, they, 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 uh, they've built a very robust online trade school that rivals actual trade schools. They've actually got four times the amount of a very well-known music trade school. Uh, like they've got more, they've got more clients, you know, I'll buy a lot. Um, and it's because they're able to offer, uh, a trade school from the comfort of someone's own home that they can learn at their own pace. Uh, and they're still getting the same education. Actually, they're getting a much better education. I mean, URM seriously delivers the goods. If you're looking to be a producer or engineer, I, 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 I rival anyone to try and find a better situation than what they're building. Um, and so anyway, my, I guess my, 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 my answer to this question here is, is how do I see the role of education in, in this age I, is I, I see it. I see it online. Yeah. And I, I think that's great. I, I, I would say, I don't think that as far as, you know, kind of the stuff that we cover, which we're not talking about production engineering. I don't think there's a one, there's anybody clearly in the lead. Uh, Steve Rennie, uh, Renman, which I think is, uh, we'll try to put a link in the notes, but RenmanMB.com. He was Incubus's first manager and he was a very early adopter to this stuff. He's got some like literal courses that you do. Um, you know, the stuff that outer loop coaching is doing is not necessarily like going to replace what you would get at Drexel university or at some of these other places, you know, um, you know, there's a million of them, even musicians Institute, it's not going to replace that. But I think Blasco's right. You know, I'll say, I don't love to learn stuff off of YouTube, right? Part of it is maybe I just haven't done it enough. Part of it is maybe I'm too busy. What Mike Mowry likes to do when I want to learn is, Tell me to show up to a place that you've already set everything up. You tell me which YouTube video to watch. I'll watch it for an hour and then we'll talk about it. Right. So I do respect that you can learn stuff online. I also think you, you know, uh, I, I know from my own personal experience that like what just because it works for someone else doesn't mean it's the way that I prefer to learn. That said, if I'm hungry enough, I'll sit here and force myself to watch a bunch of YouTube videos and learn something. No doubt. His second question is, how do you think universities can validate the enormous costs, both time and money? Uh, can they compete with podcasts and uh, niche online platforms and communities? You know, I don't think I need to spend a ton of time on this. I, I can't really comment on how they validate it. You know, really, it's beauties in the eye. I don't even know if that's the right thing, but it's essentially like, what are you willing to spend? Right. And I think Part of what I realize is even though I'm grateful I didn't spend a ton of money on my college education because I went to state schools and was very thrifty with it, uh, you know, it, it was what I was willing to spend for the opportunity to have the education to go do a career that I thought was going to be pretty cool. That said, it didn't, it didn't manifest, right? So really, that was all 
maybe not all, because I got experience of going to college. I got experience of how to turn things in. I got experience of meeting other people, which thankfully where, you know, I was, there was a lot of, when I was at UCSB, you know, up in, up in Santa Barbara, which is where I finished school, there's a lot of other punks and hardcore guys that were in there, many of which have gone on to do great things in the, you know, the professional music biz, none of whom were studying music, but like, so I can't say it was all for naught, but as far as the, you know, like, that's the thing. You're not only paying for the direct, you know, uh, va- value of what you walk out with in your head. You're paying for the experience itself. Yeah. I mean, look, it, it's like, I don't, I don't think universities are feeling that all com- competitive with podcasts or anything. I mean, it's, it's just the personality and it's the availability. Not everyone has the option to go to a college. And not everyone has even the, the wherewithal or the guts to even educate themselves to begin with. Um, so I think that you just have a different type of person with a different type of opportunity um, if they're motivated, but they don't have the money or the the convenience to be able to go to a college. They have opportunities to learn online. They can take extension courses. They can they can find trade schools. Uh, they can they can find YouTube videos of how to do just about anything. Um, so I I don't feel like universities are feeling the pinch of YouTube education at at this point. It, you know, it's like there's always going to be people that need to attend a university, and there's always going to be a parent that's willing to pay for it. Yeah. I mean, look, accreditation, which is what universities are, you know, that's the basis of it is they've established that, you know, some sort of standard and guidelines. Blasco and I love the fact that we can educate people both on this podcast and elsewhere, but we're not accredited. No. Right. And, you know, we're shooting from the fucking hip, which thankfully our hips got pretty nice, you know, uh, holsters on them now because of the time that we've spent in the trenches. But ultimately we're not accredited. You know, you can't take what we say. You can take what we say as Mike and Blasco's experience channeled with, you know, uh, our interpretation of what we know about the business. There is not a, you don't walk out of this podcast with a degree in, you know, booking, we can tell you whether or not we think headlining versus building a show, you know, yep. or or whatever, you know, releasing your record on your own if you're in your 30s and 40s versus finding a label. That said, you can't get a lot of that stuff at a university. So what I would say is quit looking at them in in isolation. You know, go to the university if that's where you think you're going to do and you've got the means and don't feel guilty about it. And then support that with listening to podcasts, educating yourself outside of that. No matter what degree you're getting, that's what people do. I think there's a fundamental flaw in kind of the way that we look at the biz. That said, ultimately, it's up to you. Blasco is a perfect example of somebody that, to my knowledge, didn't fucking go to college and get an education in in the music business and is out here fucking killing it. Yeah, I had an education in rock and roll. Yeah, baby. Uh, (laughs) uh, His final question is... What would be your top advice for young musicians who are about to start their careers in the next few years? Be passionate, be respectful, and be open to uh, to new ideas. You know, if you've got a vision of what you think you're going to do, that's great. If you don't, even even if you do, don't be married to it, right? Where I'm sitting today is somewhere far different than where I ever thought I would be. Uh, that said, even in this journey of mine, 
Uh, I probably have held on to the idea of what I am and what I want to be a little too tightly. Who knows? I could be doing something completely differently, uh, you know, just based on being nice to people, being respectful and allowing for opportunities uh, to present themselves. Yeah. My advice is get out there and do it. You're, the first song that you write isn't going to be as good as the 20th song you write or, you know, as your, your third album, um, you, the first show that you play isn't going to be as good as the 99th show that you play. Um, and the only way to do that is to get out there and start as early as possible and, and learn from, learn from life. Uh, you know, that's it. You gotta, you gotta get out there and you gotta do it and, and you have to be, you have to be passionate about it. You can't be in this to think that you're going to have a career or make money or whatever. You have to do it because you love making music and you love playing in front of people. And if you love all that and and you're passionate and motivated, money will come later, but you, you cannot get into this um, for that sake. Um, but yes, you just gotta, you gotta get out there and you gotta do it. Hell yeah. But thanks, Adam, uh, for writing that in. And that concludes episode 110-110. Uh, thank you for tuning in. We will be back here next week. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Blasco1313. We encourage you to email us any questions or comments like everybody today did uh, directly to me at askblasco at gmail.com. If you have listened this far, much respect to you for making efforts to educate yourselves and taking your future into your own hands. Mike, any final parting thoughts? Uh, thanks for great questions, guys. It's really fun for, I mean, this is some of the most fun stuff that we do, Blasco. It's real-time examples of, you know, decisions that people are making. So do uh, send those in. And uh, you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram, at Mike Loop. Uh, if you're interested in some of the stuff that we've talked about in education-wise, head on over to OuterLoopCoaching.com and see what we have to offer. And uh, really, I think that's all I got, my man. I look forward to, to sitting down with you again next week. Thanks, everybody. Peace. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network.